All right, so let's dive back into our Genesis study. We're going to talk about two kinds of people. We're going to, we're going to get into some of your favorite stuff tonight. We're going to get into a genealogy. How about that? Just one of them anointed genealogies. You just get there and read it, and you just get, and the Lord began. <gasps> that one in there. And began, you know. <laughs> All right, two kinds of people. Let's, a little bit of putting things together, learning some things as we go along. So, so God... In, in creation and creating man and the Eden story, all the stuff in Genesis 1 and 2, God in his sovereignty has made a choice to share the rule or the management of the earth with the humans. He's, he's chosen to do that. It was a sovereign decision that God made to share all this creation with us and for us to share in it with him. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God laying out his commitment to work with us, to work through humans and to, to get his will accomplished on the earth God has made a commitment that he's going to do it through people. You, you realize how big that is, how huge that is. And now this is fundamental to our purpose. I mean, each one of us is fundamental to our purpose is that in order for God to accomplish his will on the earth, he's going to work through people. That, that's why Jesus had to come in the flesh. He had to come as a man. And so, okay, putting it together, Adam and Eve, the humans, the word Adam means human, actually. Eve means life, or life giver. They're God's image and likeness. We are God's image and likeness on the earth, right? We're God's managers, God's delegated authority. I like to say it like this. We're God's representatives. We are to represent God in the earth, right? Co-laborers. Paul uses that word, co-laborers, together in in Christ. Co-rulers with God. Now, that's huge. And much of what God does on the earth must go through human beings. Not everything, but a lot of th- stuff that happens has to go through human beings. God just made it that way. Okay? And this is still true today. Now, put it all together. Okay? So why does God need us to pray? You ever think about that? Because some, some folks have a theology or understanding, a, a thought that, well, God's going to do what God wants to do regardless of what I do or not. Well, that's not the case. I promise you that's not the case. Now, ultimately, in the whole scope of things, God's will is going to be done. He's going to have his plan and purpose. He's already charted it out, actually. But when it comes, like, like, like that one passage says, it's, it's God's will that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. Is there anybody perishing? Yeah, millions of them. So why does God need us to pray? And I, I hesitated to use that word need because we think about God not having any need. But actually because of that sovereign decree he's made over us humans that he's going to work through us. God actually needs us to pray in order for him to get involved. Because we're, we're, we're working with him and he's working with us. God need, he desires, but he also needs us to ask him to be involved in situations. Now, he can obviously do what he wants to do, but he has chosen to come through us in a lot of our, uh, the affairs of our lives, okay? So, have you ever, ever thought about that? I mean, God needs us to go and minister to people? I mean, angels could do a lot better job, you know? I mean, if an eight-foot angel stands in somebody's living room, it's probably going to get their attention a little bit. But God chooses, and he says, you know what? There's, there's, there's somebody at work that needs a little encouragement, a little help, so God lays something on our hearts, Puts them in our mind. We text them. We call them. We do whatever. Why why, why us? It has to do with that Genesis 1 and 2 thing. God has chosen to work through us. Why does God need preachers? I mean, I promise you, an angel could preach a lot better than me. 
Why does God need preachers and people to proclaim? This is how he has chosen to work in the earth. He needs us to do good works, to care for creation, to care for people. Because when he made that decree about us being his image and likeness and co-rulers, he bound himself up with us and the work that he does on the earth. One passage says that God doesn't do anything unless he says, it, says something through his prophets. You know, it's, it's, it's wild. That, that is, that's, so you think about that. Why does God need you to pray? Let me say it like this. God needs you to pray so he can get something done. Communicate, <laughs> communicate with it. And all the needs we've got, God wants you to involve him into it. Now, he, I mean, most of the time, now God can knock you off your high horse if he wants to, but most of the time, God's a gentleman. He, he waits to be invited in. He waits to be invited into your marital struggle. He waits to be invited into the, the struggles of our heart, the, the, all the, the financial problems we got, the, 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 the physical problems we got. God waits to be invited. Hmm. Because that's how he works. Does that make sense to you? I just want you to make a practical connection with all this Genesis 1 and 2 stuff. Because it's not just about you getting information about what's in that, those chapters. It's about us coming together and realizing that God wants and desires to use us to get his will accomplished. All right, so Jesus tells us stuff about, you know, about praying. God's will be done. Well, if God's going to just do it, why do we got to pray about it? There's something that hinges on us now. And that's a lot of, lot of blessing and a lot of privilege, but it's also a lot of responsibility on us. All right, so we're also learning some things. Why is the world a messed up place? Well, because we've got a bunch of messed up people, right? Look somebody beside you and say, uh-huh. <laughs> so now these early chapters, the whole scripture does, and life and reality does too, but this whole early chapters give us compelling reason for why there's suffering, why there's violence, why there's loss, pain, grief, death, all of that is why it's there. It's telling us right there. So, so what's the answer? Who caused all this suffering to happen? What happened? Sin entered in, didn't it? Sin came in. And it's caused all this havoc. And how did sin, notice how the enemy had to come in and bring sin. How did he have to do it? He had to do it through human too, didn't he? Huh. So, so if, if us humans bring the sin in, then why do we blame God? Isn't that something? Don't we do that, though? We go through loss, we go through struggles, we go through problems, difficulties, whatever it might be. Even if it's our fault, we oftentimes blame God. Now, as I was thinking through that, I, I just kind of wrote out, I think it's in your notes there. This is just a little scenario just came to my mind as I was studying this out. Imagine this scenario, this, this idea. Okay, you got your dream job. Somebody set you up. They, they've shined favor on you. They've given you your dream job. You're there. They've empowered you. They've trained you. They've given you everything you need. Set you up for success. They've also laid out all the guidelines and all the expectations of everything that needs to be done by you. So you take the job. And you go. And you do. And you do good for a while. But, but then... You know, you, you begin to show up late for work a little bit. You kind of neglect your duties. You, you don't, don't accomplish the tasks you were assigned. You begin to ask for too much time off. Not as dependable as you once were. And you become part of an uprising then against the boss because you want him to do something more for you. And then the boss gets tired of it and he fires you. 
Would it be right to blame the one who gave you the opportunity? But do we? We do, don't we? But, but yet we blame God. I mean, that same scenario, that's kind of like, it just kind of was tagging along with the Adam and Eve story. God gave them a wonderful opportunity. And basically, they blew it. But guess what? When God came to hold them responsible, what did they start doing? Yeah, they started shifting blame all over the place. Adam said, the woman you gave me. Eve said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> right? We're always shifting blame. All right, so now. All right, let's get into Genesis 4. Let's get, get some new territory. I think we read through this last week, but we just didn't talk much about it. So 4.16 of Genesis. Let's just read 16 through 18. So what's happened with Cain? What has Cain done? Where we ended up last week. What's Cain done? He's just cold-blooded, murdered, killed his brother out of rage, anger, hostility. God came to him, remember? God came to him to straighten this mess out. Before it ever happened, God came and said, Look, man, if you did right, it'd be good with you. Everything would go good. Cain goes away from there, stews a little bit more. He and his brother one day out in the field. Cain rises up and kills his brother. His brother Abel. So God levels a judgment out on Cain. And this is after that judgment. All right. And it says, verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city. Cain built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad begat Mahujiel, and Mahujiel begot Methushiel, and Methushiel begot Lamech. All right, let's, let's get a little information on that. Let's kind of unpack some of that. So, we got some information about Cain, some details about Cain. All right, so this is after, again, after the murder. Abel's blood's already cried out. God's judged him. This is after the murder. Cain is left to wander in Nod. Now, that's an interesting statement. Cain's left to wander in the land of wandering. It's, it's like he's out, he's out in the wilderness. He's, he's gone. I think it's saying more than just the, the geography of the thing. I, I think it's saying to us that because of what Cain has done and has not been repentant for it, he's a lost soul. He's a restless soul, and he's sent out, he's sent out in a real restless world. He's lost. He's lo- old boy said he's lost as a ball in high weeds. He's lost as a goose in a hailstorm. So, and, and he's exiled to a kind of hell, literally. Okay? Did, did you see the, the little phrase right there? What was the phrase in verse number 16? And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Now think about this. He knows about the reality of God. God's already had a, had a long conversation with him. He knows about the reality of what his mom and daddy were all about and what the garden was about. He knows about all of that. And now Cain, the family's already been exiled out of the garden. And now Cain is driven further away from the presence of the Lord. He, he oh boy, saying he's, he's out there now. He's way out, out there in left field. He's gone. It's kind of a hell. In fact, that's, that's, that's the real picture of hell. All the, the idea of darkness is, is the idea of God's not present. 
You see, we don't, we don't have that concept too much in our lives. We, because even when we get mad at God or we rebel or we sin, God's still around. But to live a life absent from the presence of God, I mean, that's, that's what hell's going to be like. He's marked by God. We don't know what that is. God marked him somehow. There's all kinds of theories from the outlandish to the crude to the terrible. Why did God mark him? It's a little bit of a mercy, right? He gets married. Who in the world did he marry? Janice, who did he marry? Now, who's a, here's a better question. Here's a better question. Who would marry Cain? Good gosh. Who would marry Cain? That poor girl. But he gets married. Evidently, Adam and Eve had other children, and their children had children, and children, you know, because we're not sure the time span of, of ages and, and days, how long it's been. He gets married, has a son. His son's name is Enoch. Okay? Now, this is another Enoch. This is not the Enoch. This, we're going to talk about the, the, the good Enoch later. Okay, this is, this is Cain's boy Enoch. And now Cain builds a city. Okay, so, so what does he do? Okay, he's out in the land of wandering and he, find, he picks him a spot. He says, I, I'm going to just settle here. And he tries to settle himself. I, I, that's what I feel he's doing. He's trying to settle himself and all that restlessness. But you know what? Wherever you go, that's where you are. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> wherever you go, that's where you are. That's what, yeah, that's what a buddy said. You, can't, you can run from me, but you can't run from you. Hmm. So he builds this city, and now people are going to unify in this city. And we're going to get some interesting details next that, that technology is going to increase. All right? It's, it's kind of neat how, what the Bible has to say about all this. So let's go to 19 through 24. A little bit more text. So a guy named Lamech enters the story. He's going to be quite the character. Then Lamech took for himself, uh-oh, what? What did he take? Two wives. <laughs> What's wrong with it? <laughs> What's wrong with him, Chris? All right. The name of one of the wives was Ada. And the name of the second was Zillah. It means ornament and shade, basically, in the Hebrew words. Verse 20, and Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, or Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. This is like a poem that he writes or maybe a song that he sings. That's why it's kind of indented in your Bible. Anytime you see things indented, it's usually either a song or some kind of poetry or something. Okay. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Okay, what in the world is all of this? We got some interesting details. We got some details about the development of civilization. All right, so now you're going to see that this Genesis story is far different than the theories that they put in your science books at school. Okay? And and why we have deviated from these things, we just do it to our demise. That's all. That's all I can tell you. 
Cain was a farmer, right? And he, he knew farming. In fact, that's, that's how we met him, right? He's bringing a, a, a offering of produce, some of his crops to the Lord. That's how we met Cain. Cain's a farmer and he built a city. Right now, in verse 20, it talks about the, the, this one of the, it's actually one of the grandsons, I think it is. It's, it's one of the family members of Cain. This guy, he, he is like the father of raising livestock. He's like a, a shepherd. I mean, they've they got kind of nomadic public land, basically. It's still over in Israel like that public land today. You walk those hills over there and you'll see guys with shepherds and sheep and camels just roaming everywhere. I've seen a bunch of them. So these guys are, are raising livestock. Cattle, sheep, goats, all that kind of stuff, right? Verse 21, it talks about the development of music. Isn't that interesting? That one of these children are, is, is like the father of music. And he invents stringed instruments and wind instruments. That The word right there is a flute. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. Then verse 22 there's the development of metalworks with copper, brass, and iron. All these this technology is being developed for tools. Because what? I mean, they, they learn it. What's a farmer? It'd be good to have a metal plow, wouldn't it? Be good. That stick keeps breaking. Be real good. And likely, not just metalworks for tools, but likely for weapons. Because the violence is increasing over and over. Uh, up, I mean, exponential now. All right now, now think about this now, because th- this Genesis story is telling us something far different about the development of society and civilization and humanity than what we hear in the evolutionary theories. You know, ev- the evolution theories we we hear all these things that that people are crawling up out of a slime pit and then they just kind of eat each stage they just get bigger and bigger and stand more straight up, look less like an animal, shed their hair. Yeah, you know, you've seen, we've been taught that, okay? But this is a far different portrayal. How how did humanity start? Well, we started cultivating. Adam was no dummy. He he had a really good teacher. He he knew how to develop. He knew how to grow. He came out of the best garden that's ever been. He he knew about stuff. He's going to pass these things on to his kids. These kids are going to pass them on, and so it develops, all right? So you, you see that, that the Scripture doesn't teach evolution like things are evolving and getting better. Actually, Scripture teaches the absolute opposite of that, that things are not evolving, but they're doing what? They're, they're devolving. They're spinning downward, okay? Now think about the metalworks, because, you know, we all got the, the deal, you know, we've seen the cartoons, we've seen the, 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 the shows, the movies or whatever. The caveman, he sparks two flint rocks together and boom, and he discovers fire. And he beats on his chest and jumps around, you know, that kind of thing. And, and then another one makes the wheel or whatever. Uh, it doesn't portray it like that in Genesis now. See, what you have to just make up your mind is what story you're going to believe. Because see, all those theories... The evolution theory, all the stuff that's being pushed, pushed on about the creation and all those kind of things, all those things are being pushed on us to get you to distrust this book. That's what it's about. The enemy's very clever with it. And they say things, well, science says this, and they do their carbon dating and all that kind of stuff, and, and it's just not science. You know? It's theory. 
And science has theories, but they have to prove those theories. And they still got all these missing links. I mean, metalworks. How do you make metal? I mean, how, how would you make a plow out of copper or iron? Because according to this, that they started copper, brass, and iron kind of together. How do you how do you do that? How do you make brass? Anybody know about how do you make brass? You know how you make brass, don't you? You gotta have a fire. You gotta have a melting pot of some kind, right there. And copper, I think, melts at something like fifteen hundred degrees or something like that. It's, it's something like that, isn't it? So if you're gonna make brass, you take a little bit of copper and a little bit of zinc, combine them together, and a little bit of tin and maybe some other little elements. So that, what does that tell us about, how did they figure that out? Because where's that copper? Where is that copper? Where does it start? It's in them their heels, isn't it? And I, I've been to Solomon's Copper Mines. It's pretty fascinating. These, these hills are like orange. Orange is kind of, the, well, copper color, I guess. <laughs> the copper color. And you, you see the, the fire pits and stuff that, that they made that during Solomon's day. This is where they got all the copper in Solomon's day. It's pretty fascinating. I, just like, I learned all that when I was over in the Holy Land one time. But that's, that's a little different picture. I just wanted you to see that. Right? So now. So we're introduced to this character named Lamech. Okay, there's another person that's going to be named Lamech later on. And they seem to reuse these names. The baby name book wasn't very big. <laughs> and they would just change. Did you notice how when we were reading some of the names, they just change a letter or two? Uh-huh. Introduced to Lamech. He represents how humanity is accelerating in the wrong direction. Lamech is absolutely. Okay, so now we got Adam and Eve who disobey God. Next generation with Cain, what does he do? He kills his brother. Now, what's Lamech going to do? Well, he's, he's going to kill two people. I, I want you to see this, this devolution, <laughs> devolution, devolving, this, this downward spiral. Human, in fact, the, the violence is going to get so bad that by the time Noah comes on the scene, God said, I've had it with him. Violence has covered the whole earth. I'm, I'm wiping it out. Okay. So now, what, what did you say about Lamech? How many wives did he have? So he, he, he introduces polygamy. He's, he's the first one mentioned that has more than one wife. Now, we know that that practice kind of gets out of hand. But you know what? If you read the Bible story, anytime there was more than one wife, it never went good. It's double trouble if you got two of them. It's trouble if you got one. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's double trouble if you got two, right? Okay, so now. So God, God put Adam and Eve together and he said, the two shall become one flesh. So two become one. What's three become? Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't have Prozac and all that back then. <laughs> and and his, his revenge is excessive. He kills two people. He said, if you wound, somebody wounded me and I killed them. Somebody struck me and I killed them. Okay, so now it's not, remember, remember God's law kind of lays out later in Moses, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? We think about that as being barbaric, but that's actually, 
was God meeting out justice? That, that you know, if, if somebody causes you to have a loss of $5,000, you can't sue them for a million dollars. You know, you, you, they, they, you lose 5000 eye for an eye, then we'll, we'll, we'll go after 5000 you know, that, that kind of thing. That's eye for an eye. That it's, it's meeting out justice on equal terms. Our whole legal system is built on that. It's, it's a form of what we call justice. So when you hear things like somebody at McDonald's drive-thru spills coffee on them and gets $5 million, you're like, whoa, what's up with that? How many of you know if you could have done that, you'd have done that a long time ago? I, I mean, I'd have scalded myself. <laughs> yeah, it'll heal. It healed. I could have paid the doctor. Anyway, so he kills two people, and not only kills them, but do you hear him being braggadocious about it? I mean, he calls his wives together and says, let me tell you, don't mess with me. <laughs> that kind of thing. So Lamech is the guy who, more so than anybody at this point, is doing what's right in his own eyes. He's going to do it his way. He's going to mete out justice on his terms, no matter what. And now here, here's a real issue that I got with the guy. Remember he said, he said, if Cain is protected by God and God said, I would avenge him sevenfold. God said that now over Cain. God said, I'm going to protect him. Anybody kills him, I will avenge them sevenfold. Okay, I'll avenge Cain sevenfold over this. So nobody touch him. Now, Lamech comes in his own presumption over his own life. And that's not God saying this. This is Lamech acting like God. And he says, now, if Cain was protected sevenfold, then Lamech will be protected seven times 70. Seven, 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 sevenfold. You know. Hmm. I want you to see what's, what's happening here. This is why this, these stories are here. It's showing us that humanity is absolutely in trouble now. We, we are going in the wrong direction. Now, question. Remember the Genesis 3.15 thing? We talked about the snake people and God's people. We talked about those two lines, right? Is Lamech a part of God's people? Or is he part of the snake's people? Mm-hmm. And how do you become part of the snake people? You turn away from me. You, you make a choice to go your own way, Right? Now, Jesus does something real interesting with this Lamech story. We we talked about it a few weeks back. Maybe you remember. Seven times 70 or 77 fold. Uh, It depends on what it could be translated in Greek and in Hebrew and all that. But 70 and 7 are all in the same verse. Jesus brings it to bear right here in Matthew 18. He refers to the story of Lamech. Remember, Peter says, Lord, if my brother offends me, how often should I forgive him? And then Peter says, up to seven times, right? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And it's almost sure Jesus is making a reference to this particular story. And then Jesus goes into teaching that that parable we taught that Sunday uh, of the unforgiving servant. Remember the guy who had been forgiven these millions of dollars and then he found somebody owed him just a little bit of money? And he had him thrown in prison. The king heard about it and said, no, that ain't going to roll with me. Remember that? that that's where this, this phrase comes in, this reference to this story. So here, here's the thought. What Jesus wants is a group of people in the earth who are as devoted to forgiveness as Lamech is devoted to revenge. 
That's what that 70 times 7 is about. What Jesus says. Because it's like an odd number. What are you saying? 70 times 7. What? I'm sure Peter went. And somebody leaned over. and Maybe Matthew said, he's talking about Lamech. So what's Jesus doing? He's talking about this idea of forgiveness versus this idea of revenge and violence and striking back. Jesus is saying that he is raising up a whole new kind of human being. We've got all the stories of all the bad. I'm raising up a whole other kind of human who values forgiveness. All right. Questions, comments about Lamech before we go? Any further? Anybody? Lamech, Cain, all that stuff we just talked about? Anybody? So that was kind of a little bit of, of Cain's genealogy. It was just a real brief genealogy is what that really was right there. Uh, Cain's part of the snake people. Now that doesn't mean everybody that's in his line is part of the snake people. But Lamech is for sure. All right, so now, verse 25 and 26. Some more text. Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and named him Seth. Not sure how much time has passed since Cain and Abel, but... I'm sure it took a while for that mother heart to heal, don't you think? My goodness, she lost two of her boys in one fell swoop right there. They've had other sons and daughters that that are not mentioned in the text. It just says it later on in chapter 5. God gives them a son named Seth, and this is what Eve says. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, listen to what it says about Seth now. To him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. You see the contrast? Lamech and Seth. Snake people, God's people. You see the deal? And what God say about it? What's going to happen between the... I keep saying it like this, I just like saying the snake people. You know what's going to happen between the snake people and God's people? What's going to happen? It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a constant battle, constant war. All right? We've already seen it with Cain and Abel. All right, so now, here we go. So 5, 1 through 5. Let's pick that up. A little more text. And I'm not going to read the whole genealogy, so you can uh, just relax. (laughs) I do recommend you read the genealogies. Um, there are almost always nuggets of stuff in there um, that would just be a blessing. You, you know, the prayer of Jabez, remember the prayer of Jabez that came through years ago and all that kind of thing? You know that's embedded in the genealogy? A guy found it, wrote a book about it, and made $50 million off of it. You, you never know what you'll find in a genealogy, so read some of them. I mean, I know it's hard to pronounce it and, you know, just get hooked on phonics and just pronounce them out and keep moving. All right? So now, by the way, why are the genealogies in the Bible? There's several of them. It ties us to history to let us know that this is not fictitious. This is not just some kind of fables that's told. It's actually rooted in, in, in human history, right? That's, that's one of the main functions of it. But especially this genealogy right here and what we read in chapter 4, it's, it's giving us the two lines. So now by the time we get to Jesus' story, there's, there's two, three really, one real brief one, and two other genealogies, one in Matthew. Matthew actually starts off his, his gospel 
with a genealogy. I mean, you're going to write a book and start off with, with all these names listed. Why did he do that? Well, when it comes to Jesus, the genealogy is, is saying that this is a guy who's connected. He is connected, and we need to hear him. He, he's actually Jewish royalty. That's what Matthew and Luke are trying to tell us all right, with the genealogies. That you want to talk about how, how important somebody is? Two things you can talk about. And the gospel writers talk about both of them. You talk about their lineage, and you talk about the works that they do. And the gospels kind of wrap the whole story around that idea. Right? So now, this is going to be familiar to you. It's kind of a repeat. Right? This is kind of one of the dividing chapters right here. Kind of, we're completing one section of the, the first part of Genesis. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In other words, this really was how we said this is the book on Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created, or called them human in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, something you're going to learn about the genealogies. It doesn't name everybody. It's not like a family tree. You, you had stuff you're doing with your family tree, and your goal was to kind of find everybody, wasn't it? I mean, you're finding all the connections and, the, you know, the good, the bad, and ugly, right? You, you just <laughs> dig it all up. Bible genealogy is not about that. It, it's about specific things that God wants to highlight about certain people. I mean, who, who is not in this genealogy that we know of already? Cain and Abel. They're not in it. They skip straight to Seth. Okay? Now, look, look what else it says. And Adam lived 130 years. Man, how would you like to have a kid at 130? <laughs> and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, begot is just to have, like to birth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years. And he had sons and daughters. Had a bunch of them. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And what? What does it say? And he died. It was a sad day on the earth. To some regard. Adam died. 930 years of living. Now, Now, let me ask you this. All these stories that we got about creation, all the story we got about the, the Eden story, the story we got about Adam and Eve, or excuse me, Cain and Abel. Where did those stories come from? How, how did they get passed down? Adam. Adam. Stories we just read about Cain's descendants and his, that would have been Adam's grandbabies and all that kind of stuff. How do we know all that? Well, Adam's the one that passed that information on. Now, I'm speculating, but that's almost certain. And, and the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to put that in a book. I'm going to put that in my book. All right? So now, we're not going to read the rest of genealogy, but Adam died, and he died. Why is that significant? Well, over, over in chapter 2, God says, The day that you eat of this tree, you will surely what? You will be doomed to die is maybe a better way we'd understand it. Him saying, you're going to, because he didn't drop dead. But 930 years later, 
Now, I don't know how long Adam actually lived in the garden. He could have lived a thousand years in the garden for all we know. And then all this other stuff happened. I don't know. But from that point, when he ate of that fruit until that's 930 years. That's the way I understand it. And it says, and he died. And if you've read that genealogy, which they're, they're, the Bible's really meant to be read out loud in, in congregation like this. It's meant to be read out loud. You'll see that phrase, and he died. It's like a drumbeat that goes all the way through. Verse 5, and he died. 8, and he died. And he died. And he died. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in chapter five. Why would God put something like that? What's he letting us know? Sin and death are reality. So what God promised to Adam and warned him about is is taking place. You see what I'm talking about? All right, so now, right in the middle of that genealogy, there's an odd story in, the, in that mix. Everybody died except this one dude. There's one dude and there's one character in there. Let's go to verse 21 through 24. All right, so let's see. You may remember this guy. It says Enoch. Okay, now it's a different Enoch. Cain's boy was named Enoch too, but that's a different, different dude. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, listen to what it says about Enoch. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. But what do you notice all of a sudden about 365 years? What's that? If you've been reading the genealogy, everybody else is living 930, 900 this, and big numbers. He only lives 365 years. He was just a whippersnapper. You know what I'm saying? He's just a young whippersnapper. Still wet behind the ears. Oh, boy. Look at verse 24. That's what I want you to see. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. What do you think? Tell me what you think about that. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What do you, what do you think happens? He was a godly man, and the Lord just wanted him. He, he was a godly man, and, and God just took him. So everybody else, and he died, and he died. You get to verse 24 with Enoch. God just took him. Just took him. There's another guy in the Bible, God just kind of took him. Who's that? Remember that guy? Elijah. God just took him a chariot of fire. So you know what happened? I'm, I'm going to sound like my daddy in my mind because I heard my daddy tell this story a hundred times in, 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 through his life in, in ministry. You know what happened? Enoch and God were walking one day and they were just talking, having a good time talking. And God looked over to Enoch and said, you know, Enoch, it's closer to my house than it is yours. Come on home with me. God just took it. God took him. Now, so, get some ideas about Enoch. So he walked with God. He walked with God. So you see, there's, there's going to be a group of people on the earth who are like Cain and do their thing. And then there's going to be other folks on the earth that's going to walk with God. 
You know what? I just think God got so much joy out of Enoch. Now, what, 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 have we seen God walking with anybody before already? Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God would come in the garden and walk with them in the cool of the day, right? And God took him. Just snatched him out of here. Just raptured him out of here, you know what I'm saying? Just come on, come on home. Now, before he was taken, he, he had a son named Methuselah. Now, what, what's Methuselah famous, famous for? He, he's the oldest man. Anybody know? Free parking. Oh, you looking at you? Oh, okay. That's all right. You're loud. You're loud. It, it's an open book test. So, nine hundred sixty-nine years. That's that's the longest recorded history of a person to live. Nine hundred sixty-nine years. Okay. Here's the interesting thing about Methuselah's name. If you take out the, the compound of his name, the Hebrew compound of his name, his name means this. When he is dead, it shall be sent. Like an arrow sent. It shall be sent. When he is dead, it shall be sent. So guess what happens? When Methuselah dies, guess what happens? It starts to rain. Now that's an interesting concept because... Methuselah is the oldest man that's ever lived. God, when he was born, had him named, put it in the, the parent's heart, had him named that when he dies, I'm going to send the judgment. And so God extended his life further than anybody's. Because what we're going to find out when we get into the flood, God really didn't want to do it. It broke his heart. So he delayed this man. This man got to live a long time. And then at the end of Genesis 5, we're introduced to Noah. We'll get on to Noah next week. All right? So wrap it up with this. Two kinds of people. That's kind of how we started this idea. Two kinds of people. We've, we've talked about that before. Two kinds of people that's, that's laid out here in chapter 4 and 5. You got the Cain and Lamech types. That, that's snake people, right? They're the people that say, my will be done. That's them. Then, then you got Seth. When, when Seth came on the scene, it said that that's when people began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to talk to God again. And then you got Enoch. Enoch's a man that walks with God. Then you got Noah. He's a man that's also going to walk with God. And is upright in all of his ways. You got God's people. So you got the snake people and you got God's people. You got people that say, my will be done. Then you got this group over here that says, thy will be done. Two kinds of people on the earth. Right? 